When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I am your host, Sean, and today I am joined again by Jamie Albrecht, becoming a regular on this show, Jamie, and it's for our first big fight preview of 2024. Happy New Year to everybody listening, of course. I hope this year brings you everything that you want and more. But this first big fight preview of the year is the rescheduled bout between O'Hara Davis and Ishmael Barroso, and the WBA interim Super lightweight title is up for grabs here with the winner mandated then to face Roly Romero, who is out with injury at the moment. So I'm really interested to talk to you about this fight, Jamie, because me and Johnson did a preview for it a couple of months back, of course, when it was originally scheduled in and it got cancelled because of visa issues. And as a result of that, now we're here talking about it. And maybe some people don't see this as a big fight, but because it's O'Hara, because it's the potential of him fighting for a world title in his next fight and potentially becoming a champion. I felt it was necessary that we do a show on it and I'm glad that you've come on to talk about it and you've stepped in valiantly again for Johnston, uh, who has actually sent a voice note again with his prediction for the fight. So guys, I will play that once myself and Jamie have talked about the fight and what we think is going to happen in it. So Jamie, I'm going to bring you in now and happy new year, of course, and, and, it's great to be back on the show and it's great to be talking about fights and big fights of the year and all the wonders that 2024 might bring us. And it all starts now with Davis versus Barroso. Indeed, happy new year. I wish I was in the ring fighting off some of this mince pie weight that I put on, to be honest. I've had uh, that many snowballs. And for our American viewers, a snowball is something called Advocar or what you'd call eggnog, a lemonade. I've drunk me weight in that, to be honest. So, yeah. Good to be back talking about boxing and a bit of physical exertion. Um, and this fight, I mean, you, you say, uh, Sean, about sort of looking forward to it. And uh, it is a bit difficult when it comes to WBA title fights, in my opinion, to look forward to them because you never really know who the real champion is, do you? Because you've got the WBA regular, WBA interim, WBA super. It's an alphabet soup within an alphabet soup of world boxing titles. Really, if we're, if we're looking at the, the bigger picture as well, it's not just for a title. Uh, they're looking to face uh, Rolly Romero. That's the big prize, really, especially for uh, Ismael Barroso because he was stopped in his last fight, a nine-round TKO, and he's uh, he's baying for blood, basically. So I'm expecting, even though Barroso's a 40-year-old man, you know, he's not getting any, any younger. He's looking his age as well. I'm expecting him to come out and really, really put it on Davis, who's having a bit of a uh, rejuvenation in his career after recently, uh, well, not recently, 
back in March 2023, beating uh, Lewis Rinson, who's a uh, Geordie Newcastle favourite in Britain, um, who was favoured to win that fight. And, you know, Davis upended the odds a little bit. So it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping that Barroso can sort of, you know, let the hands go and, and give us something exciting. Well, you look at his last fight, you mentioned that, and that was against Romero, and that stoppage felt quite controversial to many. It didn't feel like he was in trouble, so to speak, and yet the referee stepped in and, and called the fight to a halt, and he was actually quite a competitive fight as well at times, and given the fact he's a 40-year-old man and, and he feels like he's been around forever in this sport, he was given as good as he got in that fight with Romero, and I think it, what it what it did for me as a as a fan was made me think, well, you know, if he's able to cause problems for Romero in a fight like this, it, it really leaves the WBA route open for a lot of fighters who maybe wouldn't necessarily be a champion with the IBF or the WBC or maybe even the WBO, depending upon who holds them titles and who's ranked, you know, in that top five, top ten of the rankings of each organisation because there's some quite good fighters out there not just in the UK but obviously across the world as well and there's another fighter on this card Arnold Barboza Jr who you know he's another one 28 and 0 he's going to be looking to push for a title very very shortly and you've got a lot of competitiveness going around but I think the WBA route at the moment people are looking at that and thinking look what Tank Davis did to Romero when he fought him and and how he dispatched of him I think people are viewing him as a a weak champion uh, an easier route so to speak, to becoming a champion in this particular division. So with someone like Davis, who, if you was looking at him and comparing him with other fighters in this particular division, you certainly wouldn't be saying that he would become a champion if you was pitting him uh, against his former foe Josh Taylor in a fight for a title, or maybe a Jose Ramirez in this division, or even an Arnold Barboza Jr. You probably would put the odds against O'Hara Davis in, in that regard. But I think this fight... And this route for him seems like a potential for him to become a world champion. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. He's very wide open. And you mentioned uh, Arnold Barboza. You know, he's not a big puncher. Um, he's 28-0 with 10 knockouts. So it wouldn't suggest that he's a big puncher. But in his last fight, he did beat a former world champion in uh, Jose Pedraza. So he's he's got that pedigree. He's been in there with a, with a former world champion. And the reason, you know, Jose Pedraza may not be sort of number one on your list for like the best fighters ever. Uh, but that is what we're sort of uh, talking about or alluding to when we're talking about Rolly Romero. It's showing that sort of standard of fighter that's sort of milling about at the weight at the moment. Um, and, you know, going back to what I said there, I think the uh, the gates are wide open for somebody to come in and, and take that WBA title and, uh, you know, get to the top. Uh, the, the WBA rankings are a little bit dubious. Um, we were talking off off air briefly uh this is a fight between one and three in the division are davis and ismail Barroso, and the number two being a, an american an unheralded american called kenneth sims so this is the thing about me saying about the wba you know i find it a little bit um a little bit odd you know kenneth sims just coming out of nowhere and you've got the number one and the number three in the division fighting for the championship spot ideally so where's Kenneth Sims come from? Uh, but again, that's another whole conversation that we can have in terms of uh, the shooting the breeze, perhaps, uh, perhaps and the, the boxing corruption, potentially. I mean, look at that stoppage. 
you know, you mentioned about that stoppage being a bit dubious. Uh, was someone getting their uh, getting their brown envelope? But again, I don't want to cast aspersions. <laughs> it's not like you to cast dispersions upon anything. Well, it's certainly not. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, I get, I get, I get what you're saying, and I think um, for me, this this fight, ah, it, it's one where I look at it and I think to myself, this is like respectfully, this is sort of like the best of a bunch of fighters that are all vying for that spot. Like I said with the WBA and they've got an opportunity here where they, one of them can go on and logically become a champion as a result of the way the WBA rankings are and the division is at the moment and they can quite easily avoid going through the IBF, WBO or WBC routes and effectively become a champion, defend it a few times and then maybe retire and still be a champion but not be the person in the division that is recognised as, as, as the best but I think with O'Hara Davis, it's kind of that time of his career now where I think it is make or break for him now. This is the best opportunity he is ever going to have in his career to go on to potentially become a world champion. I don't ever think in my mind that I've ever thought of him becoming a world champion. All them years ago when Josh Taylor beat him into submission, I always thought, nah, he ain't going to be a world champion one day. He's going to be a guy that will sort of sit at domestic slash European level and have some good fights there, but I don't think he's going to really get to that echelon of being a world champion or fighting for a world title, yet he's effectively one fight away from becoming a world champion. If he beats Barroso, you know, he becomes interim champion. Romero then comes back. If he does come back and fights the champion and defends the title, obviously there's another conversation to add into the mix in a moment, if, if in theory, he does come back from injury and defends that title against the winner of this fight, that's Davis's best chance of becoming a champion. And if Roly Romero then decides, you know what, I'm going to take that money fight, I'm going to push for that money fight with Ryan Garcia, which is what a lot of the talk has been on social media over the past few weeks. If that ends up happening, will the WBA force Davis to step aside? The fact that he's going to be mandatory if he wins the fight... Or will they say, if you want to take that fight, Romero, you're going to have to vacate that title and you'll have to fight Garcia. It, it is a difficult one, this, Jamie, because this is where, like you said, like the brown envelopes, the conversations start to happen behind the scenes about what is going to be more profitable for the WBA as an organisation, a Romero versus Davis fight or a Romero versus Garcia fight. And logically, we know the Romero versus Garcia fight is the money-making fight, especially over there in America. It's going to make more money than it would with someone who maybe is unfancied in America, who's unknown in America, in O'Hara Davis against Roly Romero. And that is also, I'm talking on the assumption that Davis actually wins this fight as well. So with all that in the mix, how how does things play out if if Davis does win this fight? Well, uh, I was thinking about, as you were, as you were speaking there, I mean, it also... Um, you're also looking at the fact that if, if the WBA, you know, if he does pursue that fight with Ryan Garcia, um, should that should that come to fruition? Does Davis want it bad enough? Is he in it for the money or is he in it for the titles? And uh, you're talking about brown envelopes and all that. We're really going to see whether um, Davis is, is willing to back himself if he can come through this fight and really push for that WBA title shot um, should... You know, should Roddy get in there with Ryan Garcia, which I don't see 
I don't really see happening myself. I know it's being spoke about on social media, but I'm sure I saw something recently about uh, Devin Haney as well uh, throwing himself in the uh, in the mix to fight Ryan Garcia. Whether I was wrong um, or I've just seen it on one outlet and not not many others, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, we'll we'll just see. We'll see whether uh, Ara Davis backs himself. Um, in terms of your comment about this being a sort of wide open space. And about, you know, I never really saw him as a champion. My opinion of the WBA, and I don't just want this to be a slanging, slanging session for the WBA, but I'm just going to be honest. It's very much, the, the roster we've got at the moment reminds me of the old WBU during the Ricky Hatton era. You know, you've got the names there. Uh, he's Mal Barroso, he's a big puncher. Uh, 22 KOs out of 24, I believe. Uh, a massive puncher, but he's also, you know, he's knocking on the door of 41 now. Um, he's an old man, so you know you've got the name on the record, but it's just the name on the record as opposed to like the uh, the, the fighter. Really, if he, if he loses, you can turn around and say, "Well, you fought a shell of a man there, Hara uh, Davis." You know, um, so yeah, I, I don't really put much stock in this WBA title, unfortunately, um, but I do appreciate women being a Brit. Maybe we need to put our hands together and say, "Look." You know, you've come back, um, you've lost to the two best lightweight weights, arguably, in the division, in Jack Catterall, most recently, and Josh Taylor beat him up and stopped him. So really, to come from behind like that and really have, have the division's pants down, because uh, Jack Catterall, you know, he's not had a sniff, has he, of a world title or a semen world title since getting burgled by Josh Taylor. You know, for him to come out in front ahead of Jack Catterall would be so, quite something, really. He would, and I talked about this with Johnston a couple of months back when we mentioned it. It's like we felt for Jack really more than anybody because we know how how robbed he was against Taylor and how the belts have since become so fragmented now that all these people have had these opportunities and yet Jack hasn't. But this is oh, Harry Davis's opportunity. He's been manoeuvred in this position. We're all assuming, and I think probably people listening, you guys probably think that we're just assuming that Davis actually does come through this fight against Bro. He's not without his danger, of course. He's not without his difficulties. And when you look at the resume of O'Hara Davis, uh, you think to yourself, the two biggest fights on his resume, he's lost. Do you class some of the other domestic fights as big ones? Do I say the Lewis Ritson fight as a, as a big win? Well, no, because I don't think Lewis was the same Lewis Ritson we saw a few years ago. I think Lewis Ritson's on the slide. That's, that's my honest opinion. I don't. He's not the same fighter he once was. Simple as that for me. And I think a win over Lewis, yeah, it's great on paper, but it's, it's not the same Lewis Ritson that was banging everybody out a few years back um, and was highly touted to be a potential world champion in the future in the division. No, he's not the same guy. When he beat Tyrone McKenna, was he the same fighter he once was? Or was he ever good enough at that level? I, again, I don't think so. A great, great fighter domestically, but... You know, when you're pushing for world titles and you're talking about jumping up in levels, has O'Hara Davis had enough recently? And I'm talking the last three pushing four years. Has he had enough of a step up recently to still have enough in the tank to go in there and beat an aged Barroso? That's that's the question I ask to people listening. And I push that back to you now, Jamie, and say, based on what you've said about Barroso previously, about his age and you know, yes, he is a big puncher. He's still got a puncher's chance. Is is Davis, has he got enough to beat Barroso? Or could Barroso actually 
spring a surprise upon Davis here and, and beat him. He, he can be slick, um, R. Davis. He can be slick. Uh, one thing that you neglected to mention about Lewis Ridson uh, was, yeah, he's on the slide, but he's also like he's on the slide based on, I believe, you know, he's moved up to like, well, wait. When he was this destroyer, uh, sorry, super lightweight, uh, let's get with the program, but like well, wait, um, when he was this destroyer, he was down at lightweight and uh, he's moved up and, you know, he's, he's just not as potent anymore, is he? But I, I still take your point, you know, he's a he's a decent sort of fringe, maybe European level operator. Um, but Ara Davis, you know, he can be slick and all that. And I, I think, think a lot of it's going to come down to Barroso's age, to be honest. Um, you know, is he going to be shot one? Um, and really, you know, he has to be jumped on. Uh, Davis has to jump on him. Really made those 40-year-old legs work. And, uh, yeah, close the distance. Keep away from those big bombs. Um, and, yeah, I, I think he can come out with a win, but it's purely based on, you know, is Barroso on the slide, you know? How much has he got left? I think you're right, yeah. I think that's uh, it's a good point, actually, like, Barroso could throw one shot and really hurt Davis and, and, and upset the the rhythm of the fight. But ultimately, I look at this fight and I think Davis has, has got that experience and youth uh, now to be able to beat Barroso, buddy Barroso, and, and cause Barroso problems where he could force a stoppage later on in the fight. The two ways in which I see this fight going, and this is kind of my prediction, guys, now, I think, you know, Looking at what I've seen with Barroso, looking at the last fight with Roly Romero and looking at sort of that age starting to catch up with him a little, do I think O'Hara Davis has got enough in the tank and enough experience to go in there and bully Barroso and beat him? Yes, I do. I do think he can do that. I do think he can win this fight. And he either he either bullies him into submission and stops him later on down the line when his legs get tired, when he becomes more lethargic as the fight goes on, or he, he just labours himself to a 12-round decision and, and wins in that fashion. But ultimately, what I'm saying, guys, is I think O'Hara Davis wins this fight. Honestly, I can't envisage the fight being a Barroso win. And, and I just think if Barroso was four or five years younger and a bit more closer to the age of Davis, then I think maybe I'd be saying, well, this is this is more of a 50-50 fight. I think this is more, if I'm being honest, more of a 70-30 fight in favour of Davis. So I think Davis wins, Jamie. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and to be honest, I think Davis is going to go in there with a lot of fire. I mean, we've talked about Ismail Barroso having a lot of fire. You know, he wants to get back at Raleigh. But let's face it, um, you know, Davis shouldn't be here, should he? Based on his, based on his past performances, uh, I talked about having having the division's pants down, so to speak, and uh, Jack getting in there ahead of Jack Carroll, you know? So he's really going to be buoyed by the fact that, you know, I'm here, this is my... This might be my only shot. I need to go in. Um, I think it's going to be quite a boring fight, to be honest. I think he's going to look at that power. Um, and, I mean, if I was training Davis, I mean, he'd, he'd really be he'd really be coming into problems if he's hiring me as a trainer. But, you know, I'd just be saying, look, close the distance. Stay away from the big punches. Make it boring. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how exciting you make it. You need to get the win. And you're doing this for your legacy. And, you know, coming ahead of, I know I keep saying it, but coming ahead of Jack Carroll, a, a man who's beaten you. Um, yeah, looking good. You know, Josh Sader hasn't got a title anymore. So, you know, do whatever you need to do to win. And I, I think uh, Davis is capable of stinking out the joint. 
And I think that's what he's going to do. Whatever, whatever he needs to do to win. Keep it close, smother, you know, do the bare minimum. Just nick the rounds if you can. Hopefully those brown envelopes won't be too, uh, you know, greased up and ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, that's our predictions. So at this point in the show, I'm now going to play a voice note from Johnston again. He sent a few voice notes over the Christmas period and New Year period because he, of course, has his own commitments. He's not able to be on the show over the last week or so. He will be back, of course, for the next Legendary Nights episode next week and, of course, some other fights coming up in the horizon. But I am going to play Johnston's thoughts, feelings and prediction on the Hara Davis and the Ishmael Burrell fight. First and foremost, I just want to wish everybody a happy new year, all the listeners, and to obviously myself, Sean and Jamie, and a big shout out to you both for holding the fort while I've not been around um, during the Christmas period. Uh, Jamie's obviously come and done a great job. Um, looks like he's going to take my job soon. <laughs> Keep up the good work, mate. So looking at this fight, O'Hara Davis and uh, Ishmael Barroso, we did have a discussion about this before, uh, a few weeks back, a couple of months ago. Um, we spoke a lot about O'Hara Davis and the position he's found himself hit in and the potential of getting past this and then looking for that world title. Shot with uh, Rodi uh, Romero. And you know what? We probably overlooked Barroso a little bit. You know, he's 40 years of age. He's been on the circuit forever. And he had a, a night against uh, Rolly Romero that was pretty much stolen from him when I look back on that fight again and I think before I probably overlooked that and Barroso was pretty unlucky to be fair to the fella uh, and I think now this is a, a great opportunity for him to realise his dream can he get past the awkward O'Hara Davis as I say very awkward customer Davis got a good jab full of confidence on a good run so I tipped him quite highly before. Now I'm sort of favouring maybe the underdog could pull off the upset. Could Ishmael Barroso finally be given another opportunity at a world title? To do that, it means he has to get past Davis. He's a banger. And we know with bangers that when they land on you, they can put you away. And Davis, you know, as we see with Taylor, as a few years ago, if he gets hurt, you do worry whether he's got to have enough in his locker to be able to, to recover and come back and take the fight to Barroso that being said I still favour Davis I just think that this is an opportunity for him and I think you know he got two hungry fellas he got one right at the end of their career this is his last chance saloon and sometimes that alone can be the difference but I just feel that Davis is on this little purple patch as I like to call it and he's a high in confidence as long as he's not looking beyond Barroso he should be winning this fight I think it's going to be quite a good one, though, to be fair. It's not a bad one to start the year with. Two hungry customers, two contenders. Anything can happen, especially with a big puncher in Barroso. The Venezuelan's got a lot of desire, I believe. I think he's still got something about him. But if he loses this, this is it, surely. Um, so, yeah, it's a slippery... It's a, it's a tough, tough fight for Davis, really, when you think about it. But I still favour Davis. I feel his awkwardness is going to work behind the jab. I think he's got a bit of power himself when he wants to show it. As long as he's cautious at times, clever, calculated, I feel he's got just enough, just about enough to be Barroso. And then he should be getting that world title shot. And I think that carrot dangling in front of him is going to pay the difference for him. So I'm going to go for O'Hara Davis to take this on points. But he might have to find himself, maybe pick himself off the floor or uh, recover after a stunned round maybe. 
And I think he does it. I think he bites down on that gumshield, gets through it, gets the points win, and finally gets himself another world title shot in the new year, at uh, some point this year. So that's my prediction. O'Hara Davis on. So there we go. Johnson thinks O'Hara Davis on points. We both think O'Hara Davis as well. He makes some good points, I suppose, about, about Barroso. And I suppose it just sort of echoes some of the stuff that we've already said on this show, Jamie, about, about the dangers that Barroso does present for Davis. But you'd like to think with the run that he's on at the moment, that he's he's learned from them, them losses on his record and that them losses have have made him a better fighter to the point where he can beat a, an older Barroso and, and go on and fight Romero. And, you know, I, I look at the two styles with him and Romero and I think he could beat Romero as well. So, you know, this is why I said earlier, and I'll say it again, this is his best opportunity to become a world champion. It's like when we use the football analogies and you think of England, like, and we always think, which bracket are they going to end up in in the playoffs? And, you know, when you go into like the quarters, the semis and the final every fan always sits there and tries to plan out a route and we're always thinking, right, well, if we don't face this team and we don't face that team, you know, we're in we're in with a chance of going all the way to the final. This is the same thing in, in the boxing sense that O'Hara Davis has got an opportunity here to fight two fighters, get two victories and become a world champion where a few years ago, I wouldn't have even dreamed that this guy would have been a world champion. I do think he's improved as a fighter. I do think he will give problems to Barroso and I think he will beat Barroso, but as boxing shows us, sometimes there are some upsets. And I think if Barroso does land, causes him some problems, and Davis is not able to get through it or overcome that adversity in the fight, we could be having a different conversation next week about the outcome of this fight. So, Jamie, I'm going to hand it to you. Final thoughts on O'Hara Davis, Ishmael Barroso. Well, yeah, just going on from what you've said there, um, you know, like, yeah, it's, 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 this is his lottery, um, potential lottery win this. I mean, he can't look past Barroso, can he? Because he's, you know, uh, I'm thinking of Ronnie Romero. Of course, he can't look past him. But as I've said before, um, I'm going to reiterate what I said. Sting the joint out. Make it a boring fight. Stay away from the uh, the explosive shots. Lean all over his chest. You know, you don't have to go and impress anybody. This is, as you mentioned before, and you said the football analogy, but for our American viewers and people across the world, I'm going to use the term soccer. Because they're probably thinking, oh, hang on a minute, what are you talking about? NFL. Um, but yeah, it, like the easy route, yeah, potentially easy route. You don't need to don't need to be flash about it. Just do whatever you need to do to win. So yeah, um, final falls, just going to reiterate what I said. I think that uh, O'Hara Davis is going to win in quite a boring encounter. Just because all he needs to do is neutralise those big shots and uh, he can come away with a win. So... We're going to move on now to Virgil Ortiz's return to the ring for the first time since he fought Michael McKinson in 2022. Would you? He has actually moved up the super welterweight division, which was something that I know me and Johnson had had many conversations around. There was a lot of worry about where he was at in terms of the weight and the issues with the weight, because a couple of years ago, we was all excited at the prospect of people like him and Boots Ennis and obviously Crawford still there, Spence and... You know, all these potential fights, uh, like the young lion coming up against the the aged fighter, and there was so many crossover fights and passing in the torch fights that I was looking forward to. That, that That's now changed a little bit with, obviously, Virgil moving up to the super welterweight division. But I think it was evident from the last 
18 months that he was struggling with the weight. So he's moved up now and he's taking on 30-3 and three, Frederick Lawson, who, whilst his resume on paper sounds good, uh, effectively he hasn't really had big wins of note like Virgil has. So I'm looking at this fight and I'm thinking this is a way of him stepping up weight, Virgil Ortiz, against an opponent who may cause him some problems. But ultimately, you look at it and think Virgil's got a good opportunity here to get uh, a good win at a new weight uh, against a guy who has shared rounds with some great fighters. You think of Virgil Ortiz's last three fights, or last last four fights. You know, he beat Samuel Vargas, Maurice Hooker, uh, Kavalowskis, and then, of course, Michael McKinson got his opportunity in August of 2022. So you look at that and you think to yourself, like, you know, he, he had a good run of fights in that welterweight division, and which was why we was getting so excited about the prospects of him fighting these big fighters. Now he's moved up. Now the game's changed a little bit. But I think it was always inevitable that he was always going to move up. So what have you thought with Virgil Ortiz's career so far and the fact that he's obviously had weight issues, he's got to move up? And where do you sort of see Virgil going now? Um, I mean, I've, I've been very impressed with him. He's the, he's the sort of typical, um, you know, come forward sort of bulldog. Um, moving up, I think, was the best thing for him because of his uh, the condition that he had prior to fighting Michael McKinson. He was fighting off uh, COVID-19, I think, as well, um, most recently. But he had the condition called um, rhabdomyolysis, I think it's called. And... It's attributed to overtraining in boxers uh, sometimes. So I think he was overtraining and, you know, having to take off that extra weight wouldn't have helped. So I think you might see a rejuvenation in him uh, going up to 154 and fighting somebody um, of Lawson's level, you know, somebody who's not a massive danger man. I think when you've not fought since 2022 and you've had the sort of condition that could, well, yeah, as is physically drained him, it left him hospitalised, you know, you need to take as many precautions as you can when you're getting punched in the head. And um, the precaution, so to speak, is if I had a bit more of a pedestrian fighter, somebody that can maybe get him rounds, get you know, and we could have a proper look at him at uh, this new weight, but most importantly, not just at the new weight, to see how the rhabdomyolysis uh, affected him. And, you know, I know he fought Michael McKinson, but that was quite a while ago. You know, he's had time to settle down and we'll we'll really see how it affects him. I'm looking forward to seeing him back in action again, of course, and the potential fights now in the Super Welterweight division. Of course, there's some great fights, and we've got Charlo still chipping around at the moment. We've got Tim Zhu, of course, who seems to be the natural successor to Charlo in the division. So there, there are definitely some mouth-watering fights up at 154 for Virgil if he continues to sort of maintain the progress he's had so far. I think a couple of big wins in that division and in the next 12, 18 months, we could be really talking about some major, major fights for him in there. And I don't think it'll take long for them to make them because I think prior to the the problems he was having medically, we all looked at him as a as a superstar. He was, he was like the, the you know the next superstar of boxing. We all felt that way. So it'd be really good to see him back. And and obviously this fight against Frederick Lawson will tell us any any rust that he's got, any issues that he might have overcome and, and how he looks in that fight will will obviously determine how people start to judge him going forward this division. So I am excited to see him back and I'll move this over a little bit more now to the Arnold Barboza fight as well. Of course, Arnold Barboza, another fighter 
in O'Hara Davis's division, in that super lightweight division, who's 28-0. You mentioned it earlier. Jamie is not a massive puncher. He's only got 10 stoppages on his resume. However, he's a very good boxer who could cause a lot of fighters in the division problems. And, of course, he goes and beats Jose Pedraza last year. Biggest win of his career, of course, against Pedraza, Pedraza former champion. And as a result of that, now it's put him right in the position where you can arguably say there's some big fights out there for him. And when I look at the division as it stands at the moment and the sort of the 10 big fighters in the division, you know, you've got Josh Taylor still there. You've got Sabriel Matthias. You've got Ryan Garcia. You've got Richardson Hitchens. You've got Regis Progre, Fimo Lopez. Of course, you've got Mr. Haney as well. You know, he's chopping around uh, here and potentially looking for a fight up in this division. So them names are some good names where... You know, you think of Barboza and you think of maybe a fight with Hitchens or maybe we could fight Matthias. But I did read a few weeks ago that apparently Jack Catterall is supposed to be fighting Richardson Hitchens. And that fight would then make that person, the winner of that fight, the mandatory for Sabriel Matthias, who holds the IBF title at the moment. So, you know, we talked about Jack a little bit earlier in the conversation. If that fight does happen for him against Hitchens, that puts him... In a, in a position, hopefully, and I say it as a fan of Jack, it hopefully puts him in the position where he should be in, which is fighting for a title. He really should have been fighting for a title a long time ago, and unfortunately it hasn't worked out that way. But he's still got a few barriers to overcome to be a champion again as Jack. But this conversation is about Barboza and where he sits in that mix at the moment, and there's some really good names in that division. And going into this fight, you know, he's got to get a really good win under his belt and he can then start to argue that he should be in with an opportunity to fight for a world title as well. Uh, well, I agree with you there. I mean, you, you brought up the you brought up the name Subriel Matthias. Um, I think that's a very very unenviable position to be in. If you're you know taking it back to Jack Carroll, Jack Carroll wins. He should be world champion anyway. He's the ungrounded champion, and to fight a, a beast like Subriel Matthias, I, I really think. You know, it's not out of the firing pan into the fire. It's like going and face the executioner, isn't it? And then going, oh, yeah, there's your shot. And then you go, what we deserved. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, if I was uh, either of those either of those men, uh, Barbosa or Jack Carroll, I wouldn't be looking at a fight with Subi and Matthias and going, oh, yeah, that's the way forward. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so I might try to lay down, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, just wide open. Um, and you know, the, the fact that Barbosa, you know, he's 28 and 0, he's got 10 knockouts, but he's another man who's, who's sort of undefeated. And this, this bill, when I'm looking at it, it's designed to sort of it's a, like a round robin, isn't it? And and trying to move towards that world title. So go out there and impress. Um, you might not be a big puncher, but let's see your boxing skills and uh, look at the other elements of the uh, other elements of the division. It's not all about just about power punching is it you know so uh it'd be interesting to see how he how he comes through that on a bubble well you wanted to mention Raul Curiel as well I know you talked about him with me before we started recording this episode just talk a little bit more about him now you you mentioned it earlier to me but for the benefit of everybody listening to the show like if you're watching this card on the zone you want to be tuning into Raul Curiel don't you yeah, well, this was the thing. I, like I was saying, it's a round robin and uh, a bit of a, you know, I use the term showcase. It's a showcase for what is to come. Uh, Raul Curiel is, he's a Mexican welterweight. 
he's a typical Mexican sort of banger. He's he's very much in the style of Virgil Ortiz, who I know he isn't uh, Mexican, but uh, a very sort of come forward fighter. I looked at him and he was a bit like he reminded me of Antonio Margarito, but with a little bit more pop. Um, but again, you know, this this division, the junior welterweight and the welterweight divisions respectively, they're just churning them out at the moment. And, um, you know, the, his addition to the card, uh, Raul Curiel, it could be really exciting um, because we're, we're getting to see another potential monster, you know, and someone to fill the void at Worldway that's going to be going to be left when uh, Mr. Crawford moves up. And I wanted to add to that point as well, that you were saying about Virgil Ortiz, he's coming up at an opportune moment because, you know, there's, there's talk of Terence Crawford. I, I know that... Um, he was uh, he was sort of eyeing up uh, Devin Haney the other day. I think that's where I got mixed up, actually. It wasn't Danny Garcia. It was Terrence Crawford that I saw uh, eyeing up Devin Haney. So he may sort of stay around sort of world to wait and all that. But there was talk of the rematch um, with Errol Stens being up at light middle. So for those to follow each other, uh, Virgil Ortiz to go up to light middle weight. And then you've got the likes of Raul Curiel uh, down at world to wait. If he can impress on this bill. You know, it's exciting times around sort of one, one, four, seven, one, five, four, and if they all follow each other up, then we're going to have a, a right good couple of years, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Well, before we end the show, a little bit of news that I saw on New Year's Day, the New Year's Day annual card that they have in Japan. Uh, Manny Pacquiao was brought into the ring to make an announcement that he is to fight Floyd Mayweather in a rematch. I believe it's to be an exhibition and not an official fight. But what do you make of that announcement? Like, is there any point in this? I know that uh, Floyd Mayweather is supposed to be fighting John Gotti the third again, and apparently that's supposed to have been signed for 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 a rematch. If anybody didn't see the first exhibition between these two, you know, it ended uh, in quite a fashion where it reminded me of of fights gone by, where you get people just diving into the ring and scrapping. It was like it was like the Italian mafia versus like Floyd Mayweather's big ass bodyguards it was ridiculous so uh, from what I've read and what I've seen I don't know how true this is again it's all rumor mills apparently Mayweather's fighting John Gotti the third but Pacquiao did go live on telly and basically stood there and he said I am going to fight Floyd Mayweather in a rematch what do you make of that uh well you say it's an exhibition and I might trigger some fans now particularly Manny Pacquiao fans I might sit there and talk about the shoulder and everything like that but the first fight was an exhibition, let's face it. It was an exhibition of Floyd's mastery. Um, I don't subscribe to the whole score of four. I don't, I don't want to go back in time too much, but I don't subscribe to the whole four, uh, score of four that Floyd's a runner, you know. He literally stood there and then just did his uh, silly show and just made many look pedestrian at times. That was an exhibition in itself. Uh, I don't particularly want to see it again. Uh, particularly when there's nothing attached to it. You know what I mean? The, the first fight was bad enough um, in terms of entertainment value. I remember uh, that fight. I went to my friend's house and he was he, he had about 20 people around there and they were all hyped up. And I said, yeah, um, like my friend, he was called uh, Steve Wood. Um, and he just turned, no, no, Stephen Forrest, but everyone called him Woody because forest and trees and stuff like that. And I said, hey, Wood, this is going to be a terrible fight, you know. And he went, how can it be? It's going to be dead excited. And at the end of the night, everyone was complaining. They were like, I paid for that. Absolute rubbish. Well, that's exactly what you're going to get if they have an exhibition. They're not suddenly, you know, 
nearly 10 years down the line going to produce the goods and we're not going to have a rocky rocky Balboa moment, are we? So yeah, that's my thought on that. To leave it where it is in the past, Floyd Mayweather doing an amazing job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I'm not, I've not got an interest in it, but it was something that came up, and I was just interested in in bringing it to your attention, really. And just you had, uh, I suppose, the only other little bit of conversation we can have before we finish the show off for anybody that's been following social media at the moment. And again, you can you can kind of take a lot of this stuff with a pinch of salt. Is in the aftermath of Joshua beating Volin a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's talk of him fighting Hergovic on the grounds that the winner of the Fury Usyk fight automatically vacates that IBF title. Eddie Hearn's kind of got his eyes on that path for making Joshua a champion again. However, in the same breath as he does, he comes out and suggests that now they're looking at March for the next date for Anthony Joshua and the three front runners for that fight are Philippe Hergovic, Zile Zhang, and would you believe it, Francis Ngannou. So this is what Eddie Hearn said in an interview. Those are the three fights that he ideally would like to make for Joshua in March. So that Deontay Wilder fight is, by the sounds of it, completely off the table now. And it looks like Hergovic is the logical person that you'd expect him to fight. But I was saying to somebody on, on social media, on the BTR Facebook page, uh, a, a gentleman called Gustavo. And Gustavo was sort of, saying to me, like, why would you post this on social media? And I was like, well, look, this is what Eddie Hearn's saying. What Eddie Hearn says sometimes, he means one thing, and it, you know, it goes in a completely opposite direction. So the point I was trying to make here was that, you know, we might think the logical step is the Hergovic fight, but I'll be quite honest with you guys, I would not be surprised in the absolute slightest if the Fury Usyk fight happens, we get a winner, there's an immediate rematch. So the IBF belt stays with the winner of that rematch, uh, the winner of that fight, and then the rematch subsequently. So that leaves Joshua and Hergovic without uh, a potential fight for an IBF title. It would not surprise me in the absolute slightest if we see Anthony Joshua versus Francis Ngannou in Africa. It'd be interesting. It certainly would be interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't... I don't know. They're, they're just... The, the thing is with the heavyweight scene, that, that was a good, it was a good card there, Brecken, man. But they're all fighting for the scraps. They're all fighting for the scraps. They're going to be left behind by either Fury or Usyk. You know, it's not, it's not entertaining. And, and, you know, Eddie Hearn just shows um, that, that analogy you had about the England team, you know, the easiest route. He'd done it with Charles Martin for Anthony Joshua. He seems to wait for the path of least resistance to sort of pop up. And then he's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get you another title. It's a paper championship. Bells don't mean anything in boxing anymore, in my in my opinion. It's just for just for the TV companies, really. Um, you know, are you telling me, and you can disagree if you want, uh, Sean, but, you know, would you really endorse whether he's got an IBF title or not? Would you endorse Anthony Joshua as a proper world champion if Usyk and uh, Fury are still, still going? If he got the IBF title and he beat Hergovic for it, who, who's the number one mandatory, then it, it'd be better than when he won the IBF the first time around against Charles Martin, wouldn't it? I mean, Hergovic is a better fighter than Charles Martin by by a mile. So if he beat Hergovic, then yeah, I'd say, right, well, he's earned his right to be called champion again. But for me, what we want to see, and I get your point about belts can be irrelevant at times, we want to see the best fight, the very best of that division. And... The fights that we've always wanted to see for the past five, six years has always been a combination of 
Fury versus Wilder. Yes, it happened three times. We've wanted to see Fury versus Joshua. It's not happened. We've wanted to see Joshua versus Wilder. It was supposed to happen, and now Wilder lost to Parker. Then we see an Usyk move up, and then we wanted to see Usyk challenge himself against the best. He goes and beats Joshua back-to-back. Now we're getting Usyk versus Fury. So we are getting the best two fighters at this moment in time, in this generation of the heavyweight division, are fighting each other. So ultimately, we are going to get to see the best fighter fight the best fighter of this division and and hopefully see a clear-cut winner in that fight. For Joshua at this stage, if he if he wants to cement his legacy further, okay, if he beats Hergovic, he gets the IBF championship. And yes, he would be a three-time heavyweight champion. He would technically go down in the history books because he's won a heavyweight title on three separate occasions. Yes, he would be down there, Jamie. But would he be considered to be right at that top of that list as as, as one of the best of that division? No, he wouldn't because he's lost to Rusik twice and he hasn't fought Fury. So for me, if, if I'm Joshua at this stage of my career, what are my intentions? Like, are my intentions to become a three-time heavyweight champion again? Is that is that on his tick list for 2024? Of course, it probably is. Uh, but is it also to fight someone like Tyson Fury and, and have that big all-British heavyweight class, which we've dreamed of for years as well? So it really depends on, on Joshua, I suppose, more than anything and, and the people that he's got around him advising him on where to go. But to answer that question, if he wins that title, he becomes a three-time heavyweight champion. So yeah, I'd I'd still consider him to be a champion and not just a paper champion because he'd legitimately have beat somebody to do it and he wouldn't have just beat a Charles Martin to do it. He would have beat a Hergovic. A Hergovic who arguably lost to Zile Lang. I agree. I agree it, on that. To me, it just... It, sorry to talk over you there, Sean. It highlights the absurdity of the situation with belts, not just a heavyweight, but you you made a point there, and I don't want to veer off track too much because obviously this this episode has been about Davis and uh, Barroso in particular. But it highlights the absurdity of boxing that you know you mentioned that he wouldn't even be considered one of the top heavyweights. Yeah, he's a world champion, champion of the whole wide world, and he's not even the best. It's just ever since the advent of the the IBF, I would say, in the uh, early eighties, you know, this is a situation we found ourselves in. Um, you know, you can tread the path of least resistance. You can get promoters just going, oh, you know, we'll avoid him. We'll, avo-, you know, and it's it's just a shame. But again, that's a that's a conversation that's been had many times before, and we can have it many times after. And it's not for this episode, so I do apologise for sullying or polluting this episode with my negativity. <laughs> yes, that is definitely an episode. Maybe in about six weeks' time, once we've seen Fury versus Usyk, and we have a shooting the breeze episode, guys, where we can sit down with yourself, Jamie, and maybe try and get all three of us, me, you, and Johnston, to just sit down and talk about the landscape. Again, it really depends on what happens. Here. A lot, a lot, really depends on what happens in Fury versus and how that plays out as to how this conversation may go in the future. But guys, I think that calls time on this particular episode, the preview for. Davis versus Barroso. We're expecting Davis to get the victory. All three of us have predicted that O'Hara Davis will beat Ishmael Barroso and put himself in line for a world title shot, hopefully later this year. That is it for the episode. I want to say thank you as always to everybody for subscribing and listening to us through the various platforms. If you are on Spotify, leave a comment below of what you think 
is going to happen in this fight and any thoughts and feelings on anything we've discussed in this episode please do leave a comment below if you're on any other platform that has a rating system please leave us a rating and a review apple in particular it does do that so please leave us a rating and review on there if you've not followed us on social media you can do so at btr boxing pod on twitter or btr boxing podcast on instagram on facebook and you can find us on youtube you can also find us on tiktok as well so please do go ahead and find us share all the stuff out there like share do everything you need to do it's always really really appreciated legendary nights is back next week the 8th of january episode 3 is out please do make sure you tune in for that there will be a promotional video coming out very shortly on social media for you guys to see what episode that actually is that's coming out but for those that are patrons through patreon.com you guys have already had access to it earlier than anybody else and you've already listened to it so you know exactly what we've covered for episode three of season four for legendary nights if you are not a patron and haven't seen what we do over there please go and check us out at patreon.com forward slash btr boxing podcast a big shout out goes out to Corey and to chip two new patrons that have joined us very recently who have been really enjoying the content on patreon.com the additional content that we don't provide on the main feed and that is only there on a subscription basis so please if you're in a position to support us please go and check us out at patreon.com but that is it for this big fight preview thank you for listening to myself and Jamie on the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Podcast Network.